2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, our nursery remains open for those who need the services of that ministry. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, beginning with verse number 1. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It's also on the screen for you to follow along. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 1, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it. So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Verse number seven. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seat. We've been in this sermonic series for a number of weeks now. And we simply call it a sermon series on prayer. And we've had a few installments as, as we have systematically walked through this topic of prayer. We first asked ourselves, why pray? Why pray? And we opened up by saying that the reason that we pray, the number one reason we pray, is so that God might be glorified. And what we offered in that sermon was to, to, to give us the opportunity to refocus prayer. Prayer oftentimes is about us, what God can do for us, what God can give to us. But God gave us the means of prayer so that through prayer and how he answers the prayer, he might be glorified. So the reason we pray is not for our own benefit, but for the glory of God. 
We pray not only for the glory of God, but we pray because it is commanded by God. It is an act of obedience to pray. And so, so we went through that installment of why pray. But not only did we talk about why we pray, then we asked, tried to answer the question, how ought we to pray? And so then what we did is we learned from the master teacher himself, Jesus Christ. And he taught his disciples, when you pray, pray in this manner, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Traditionally, that's been known as the Lord's Prayer. We call it the model prayer because the Lord's Prayer is actually found in John chapter 17 where he goes, on, he goes off and he prays for himself. And then he prays for his disciples, the apostles, and then he prays for the church. And so after we talked about why pray, how to pray, we talked about something else in the third installment, which I cannot remember right now. So then we'll come to our fourth installment and our final installment, which is when God says no, or the problem of unanswered prayer. I must admit to you something. We ought to confess our sins to one another. I get the awesome privilege of confessing it to the whole church. One of the areas that I struggle with is asking for help. I don't like to ask for help. On one hand, I don't like to ask for help because I feel like if I ask for help and you help me, I then feel in debt to you. I feel like I, I, I have to repay you in some way. Even if you say, I don't want anything back from you, I do this just because I love you and I care about you, I feel, feel I still feel this pressure, this weight, this burden to pay you back some kind of way. And when I pay you back, I'm not going to pay you what I owe you. I'm going to pay you what I owe you and then some. But one of the other reasons, I think in the back of my mind, that I don't like to ask people for help, and this is not a good thing. I'm not bragging about this. Is that I don't like rejection. Carson, that's why it always took me forever to ask a girl on a date. My wife's not here to defend herself. Ha! So I'm going to preach about her. <laughs> she, she, I say she uh, persistently asked me to make her my official woman. She says she gave me an ultimatum of, hey, either we're going to make this thing official, boyfriend, girlfriend, or I'm moving on. I took four weeks, even though I wanted to ask her to be my girl after four minutes, it took me four weeks because I didn't want her to say no. Now, how she would ever say no to me, huh? I should have thought about that. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. I want, <laughs> okay. <laughs> come on back, come on back. So anyways, 
We don't like rejection. And that happens, that same fear that we have amongst one another, we bring that into our relationship with our Heavenly Father. We don't want God to tell us no. My baby, the baby that we have now, Lily, sweet as she can be. Oh, she is sweet. But she has heard this word no, and she does not like it. As soon as I say no, it's the lip. And then it's like you have, her, her whole world has come apart because it's this big whale. Just because you say no. Nobody likes to hear no, especially when we go to God. The same God who told us ask, and by the way, in the original language, when Jesus told his disciples, ask and you shall receive, here's how it really should be translated. Keep asking. Keep receiving. Keep seeking, and it will keep opening unto you. And so we have these bold promises of God saying, I'll give you whatever you ask for, but yet we still get confronted with this issue of God saying no. And so what we're trying to process now in this final installment of this sermon series on prayer is, why does God say no? And a few weeks ago, we learned from the book of James that one reason that, the God, that God says no is because we lack faith. We doubt. And last week we, we heard that, that one another reason God says no or he doesn't even answer our prayer at all is because sin has separated us. Sin erects a wall between us and God. And God says, I will not even hear you. But then now we are faced with something new from the Apostle Paul today in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me give us some context before we get directly into, into this text. In this section of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with around chapter 10 through chapter 13, Paul moves from this loving, gentle, uh, 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 fatherly kind of pastor and apostle to chapter 10, he starts confronting some people face to face. The tone of his writing changes all of a sudden in, in, in this final section of 2 Corinthians. And what's happened is Paul, Paul's uh, authority and legitimacy as being apostle, an apostle has come under attack. His, his reputation is under attack. There's been a smear campaign put on by some false apostles. He calls them super apostles. And, the, and he's angry now, and he's got to address these uh, apostles head on because they've smeared his reputation, and they said things like this. The, I tell all of our, uh, I tell people that I work with, especially couples, is that you got to know trigger words. You know, those words that will set your spouse off in a minute. One of my trigger words is weak. Don't call me weak. These people, these false apostles, called Paul weak. And truth be told, if I called out some witnesses, if I called some men up here right now, they would let you know, no, you can't call me weak, man. Them fighting words. You can call me whatever else you want to, but don't call me weak. They said, Paul 
When he comes to us, he's all gentle, but in his letters, he, 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 he's, he's very severe and he's bold. He's a coward. He'll write boldly, but he won't speak boldly in person. That's what they said about the apostle Paul. And so, and so they said he lacks apostolic power. And these accusations made by these false apostles, apostles ended up creating a wedge between the apostle Paul and the church that he planted. They are now, the church at Corinth, they're starting to, to believe these false apostles. They said he, he's no real apostle. apostle. He, 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 he doesn't even have good public speaking ability. Matter of fact, if you ever want to take a preacher down, bring up money. And that's what they do. They said, Paul, he doesn't really love y'all. He won't even take y'all's money. The Corinthian church had been duped. They, they have been swayed by the boasting of these false super apostles. So, the, so the, they have been boasting about their ability, about their credentials. And Paul says, all that boasting, this worldly boasting y'all doing is foolish. Paul says, but you know what? I can play your game too. I can boast as well. And the goal of my boasting, though, is to, to, to win the mind and hearts of this church at Corinth back. And so Paul, he, he, he's began to boast. And then we find him, his final boast here in chapter 12. Paul boasts about visions and revelations, he says. He speaks of himself in the third person. He, he says, I know a man that was caught up into the third he heaven. The third heaven, that's the dwelling place of Christ and all the saints. Remember, when Jesus Christ was on the cross, right be before he died, uh, 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 one of the, the, the thieves that, were, that was beside him said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you will be with me in paradise. That's the third heaven. Paul says, I was raptured up into this third heaven. I was snatched up into this third heaven, meaning that it wasn't something that I did. It's not something that I spoke into existence, but God did it. God snatched me up and showed me things, he said, that I can't even repeat. And then Paul, now, the heart of the, the, today's sermon is going to come from verses 7 through 10. Paul says, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Now, before we talk about the thorn, let me help you out. Because when I first, when I, when I used to think about this thorn, I, was, I would think about like rose bushes. They got thorns, right? Thank you. That ain't the thorn. It's more of a stake. S-T-A-K-E, that, that, that was long and it was sharpened at the, at the end so that you could violently poke someone with it. Paul says, there was given me a stake 
in the flesh. Let's look first of all, as we look at this thorn, the first thing I want us to see together is the purpose of the thorn. Look with me first of all at the purpose of the thorn. Verse 7, Paul says in verse 7, so to keep me from becoming conceited. The purpose of the thorn, this stake that was given to Paul, was to prevent Paul from becoming spiritually arrogant. Think about it. Paul had been caught up into the third heaven. He was exposed to secret things that had not been revealed before. He heard things that were so sensitive in nature that he was commanded not to repeat what had been heard. God had exalted him into the highest heaven. And now the danger was for Paul to lift himself up. This danger was that he would become conceited. The temptation that he would have an undue sense of self-importance. And so Paul says, to keep this from happening, God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh, a stake in the flesh. Now, before I apply this to us today, let, let me make a couple of observations about Paul's opening statement about this thorn. The question has been asked, what was this metaphorical thorn in the flesh? Much speculation has been made about what this thorn in the flesh actually was. Some say it was blindness, poor eyesight. Others say it was some stomach issue. Others say it was a hearing issue. Some say that Paul tells us what the thorn is in the flesh because it, it, immediately after he says there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, he says, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. So some think the, the thorn in the flesh, Paul actually identifies as a messenger of Satan. That word messenger is angel. What's an angel of Satan? A demon. So he, someone, some think he may have been under demonic attack. And that's what he described as the thorn in the flesh. Here's the thing. Let me just bottom line this for us. Paul really never explicitly says what the thorn in the flesh actually is. All we know is that whatever this thorn in the flesh was, Paul says, it tormented me. It, it, it was the cause of suffering for this apostle Paul. Second observation that I want to, 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 to show you is there's odd language in this text when Paul says, this is what he says. He says, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Paul has a very unique perspective regarding this thorn. He says this thorn, this stake in the flesh, he says it was a gift. What you talking about, Paul? He sees this thorn as a present from God. Question for the room, is this how you view suffering? Do you see your suffering as a gift from the Lord? 
Maybe you're saying, there's no way I can see all suffering as a gift from God because some suffering comes at the hands of Satan. And I say, you're actually right. Some suffering that we have to endure is a result of spiritual warfare. However, we must know that Satan cannot touch a child of God with permission from that child's heavenly father. Which means that if God allows it, then there's something better and greater on the other side of the suffering. Why, why would Paul then see this thorn, his suffering, as a gift from God? Because he knew that there was purpose in that thorn. And here it is. The purpose of the thorn was to keep Paul from sinning. In other words, this thorn was, the purpose of the thorn was to sanctify Paul. That word sanctify, it means, it means to be more like Christ, to look more like Christ, to act more like Christ, to be set apart so that we look like our big brother Jesus. And Paul says, the reason it's a gift is because it was going to keep me from offending the very holiness of God. The reason I can see my thorn as a gift from God is because it was going to keep me from sinning. Friends, conceit, arrogance, pride is sin. In the list of the seven deadly sins, first one listed is pride. Friends, let me remind you what, what, what the writer said. God opposes the proud. Those who are proud, those who are prideful, or you declare war on God. And Paul says, I, 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 even though this thorn tormented me, even though this thorn kept me up at night, I still can give God praise and say thank you for this thorn because it made me holy. Paul says, it prevented me from the sin of pride, it, so it produced humility in me. And the path of spiritual maturity goes through the road of humility. So we can embrace suffering because we know it's for our sanctification when it comes from the hands of God. Friends, let me be clear that if Paul was at danger uh, of becoming spiritually arrogant, how much more are we at danger of this same sin I'm struggling. I don't want to say this next part of my manuscript. Some of the most arrogant people I know are so-called Christians. They are arrogant because of how much Bible they know. Whew. One, of the, one of the general statements that's in uh, the evangelical circles about students who graduate from Dallas Theological Seminary, which is where I went, was that, oh, they know the Bible, but you can't tell them nothing. Spiritual arrogance. We spent four years in seminary. We went through all 66 books of the Bible. We went through four semesters of Greek, four semesters of Hebrew. What you going to tell me? 
Don't, don't you dare get in a small group and challenge me because I went to DTS. And Paul, we, 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 we face this danger of becoming spiritually arrogant. And when we become spiritually arrogant, God says, all right, I got you. Let me give you a sword. We, we become spiritually arrogant because of how long we've been a Christian. We become spiritually arrogant. Arrogant, well, well, because we, we think we have a, we, because of how long our daily quiet time is. We can become spiritually arrogant because of how much money we have. I'll be honest, in Kansas, the culture is more of, let me show you how much money I can save. And saving is wise, by the way. And the church said, that, that, that's wise. But sometimes saving can mean that I'm just stingy. So I'm just going to keep bigging bigger barns. <laughs> we, we become spiritually arrogant. Just, just look, look how good I can sing compared to everybody else. Preachers, we, we're some of the worst ones. Look, look, look how good I can preach. We, we get to conferences, and we get to these preachers and pastors gathering. Hey, how, how, the, the, this the first, let me tell you, one of the first questions that you will be asked is, how much you running on Sundays? Meaning, how, how many people you gathering on a Sunday morning? We've made that the measure of success now for pastors. When we were never, when God never measures our success based on numbers, but it's based on faithfulness. And now, and let me tell you, we all pastors forget all their lessons in math. Everybody rounds up. One hundred and one equals two hundred. <laughs> we we still have, we are still at danger of becoming spiritually arrogant. Just think about, uh, y'all, look at how much time I spend feeding the homeless. Look at how big of a church we attend. Oh, 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 or even there are some people who become spiritually arrogant about how small of a church they attend. Friends, it is sin to exalt yourself. It is pride. It is sin to take credit for what God has done through you. And remember, God is a jealous God. He says, my glory I will share with no, no other. And so Paul says, to keep me from becoming spiritually arrogant, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. Now, Paul shows us the purpose of the thorn, but then he says, let me, let me share with you my prayer concerning the thorn. He moves from the purpose to the prayer in verse number 8. Let's look first to me at the apostle's request. Paul says in verse 8, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. On three different occasions, Paul says, I prayed and I asked the Lord to remove this thorn from the flesh. Before we push on, 
this verse teaches us a few lessons. First of all, Paul could consider this thorn a gift from God because it drove him to his knees. Friends, hear me. Anything is a blessing that makes us pray. Paul says, this thorn, it drove me to, it, though it tormented me, it got me closer to God. Sometimes God will give us our own personal thorn in the flesh to draw us nearer to him. It is oftentimes in weakness where we sense the most powerful presence of God. So Paul says, there was given me a thorn, and it's a gift because it drove me to my knees. Friend, secondly, the second observation is, I want us to know that it is acceptable to pray to God to remove suffering. If we're not careful, we will wear our suffering as a badge of honor, as if that makes us so much holy or such a good Christian because we are suffering. It is acceptable. Paul models this for us. It is acceptable to say, God, I need you to remove this from me. This is just too much. It, it feels unbearable. Lord, take this away from me. Third, Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord. Paul teaches us that we ought to be persistent in praying in the midst of our suffering. This is what Jesus taught his disciples in Luke 18. He's, he taught that men ought always to pray and not faint. And always, in other words, you ought to pray and not give up. So Paul makes a bold request, Lord, take this thorn in the flesh away from me. Here's the Lord's response. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The Lord's response to Apostle Paul's request to remove the thorn is no. Request denied. Friends, it is God's prerogative to deny us what we ask of him. He's God. He's sovereign. He does as he pleases. However, God's no can mean that he has something better instead. I've used this illustration before, but I'll use it one more time. A little boy went on vacation with his mom, and it was, and he, one of the things that he wanted to do, he was just a little boy, is he, the one thing he wanted to do while they were on vacation was to go to the beach. He had seen uh, 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 episodes on TV of people at the beach having fun and enjoying themselves, and he wanted to go to the beach, and he wanted to get into the water. And so he asked his mom, Mom, today, can we go to the beach? And she said, no, son, we can't go to the beach today. A couple hours later, 
persistently, he asked his mom, Mom, can we go to the beach? Son, no, we're not going to the beach. Next day, asked the same question. Mom, can we go to the beach? I want to get into the water. And she said, son, no, we're not going to the beach to get in the water. Every time he asked to go to the beach and get in the water, she said no. But what that son didn't know, as much as that broke his heart, what the son didn't know is, even though mom said no to going to the beach and getting into the water, mom was saying yes to a lot more things. What the son didn't realize is that when you get into the water, you need to know how to swim. That boy had not been yet taught how to swim, especially in an ocean. And so even though the mom said no to giving him the pleasure of going into the water, she was saying yes to life. No to the water, but yes to your future. And even sometimes God, as our Heavenly Father, He tells us no. Even when He tells us no, He's saying yes to something else. And that's exactly what happens here with Paul. Paul says, Lord, remove this thorn from me. And God says, the Lord says no. He says, I'll give you something better. My grace. Friends, the same grace that saved us is the same grace that sustains us. If God's grace is sufficient to save us, it is also sufficient to sustain us in the midst of our own suffering. The Lord lets Paul know that he will not remove the thorn because Christ plans to give him grace. And this grace that, that is sufficient is the power of Christ to endure the suffering. The grace given to Paul is the power of Christ to keep ministering despite the suffering. Beloved, this is how the Lord sometimes answers our prayers. Yes, no, wait, and my grace is sufficient. He says no to the request, but grants us grace to endure and to rise above our suffering. We see the purpose of the thorn, the prayer concerning the thorn. Let me finally show you what Paul says is the power that's accessed from this thorn. The power that's accessed from this thorn. Paul says, you've been boasting, you've been showing your credentials, you false, uh, false apostles, you, my opponents, you, you've been boasting about all these worldly things. I'm going to boast too, but I'm going to gladly boast in my weakness. You boast about your strengths, what, what you think makes you so strong. But really, boasting should be about our weaknesses as believers. Because when we are weak, that's when we access the power of Christ. To boast is to take pride in something. It's to be self-confident. Paul says, what I take pride in is my weaknesses. 
Why would one want to take pride in their weaknesses? Because in weakness, the power of Christ makes us strong. Paul says, I boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on, on me. That word for rest, it, it, it means dwell. He says, I won't, I'm boasting about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ might dwell upon me. Weakness, friends, gives God the occasion to display his magnificent power. Friends, we are most powerful when we are least reliant on our own strength. One more time. Friends, we are most powerful when we are least reliant on our own strength. That's what prayer is. Prayer is you acknowledging God, God, I'm weak. I can't handle this. I, I, I need you. And that's when we tap into the very power of God. Sad reality is that in our day and age, there are not enough weak men to, to be this powerful. But there are enough powerful men to be impotent. Paul says, I boast in my weaknesses. Not only am I going to boast, gladly boast in my weaknesses, not begrudgingly, but gladly, but I'm also going to delight in my weaknesses. Paul says in verse 10, for the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That word weak when he says content, excuse me, when Paul says he's content, that word it can be translated delight. So, so the better translation is, for the sake of Christ, I delight. I take joy. I take pleasure in my weaknesses. Because to be weak is to be strong. That's the paradox of the thorn. Paul says, I'm able to delight in my weaknesses because my weaknesses are actually on behalf of Christ. He says, I'm suffering. I've got this thorn in the flesh, but it's for the sake of Christ. This thorn was given so that Paul could humbly continue his gospel ministry. So as I close here, are you willing to suffer? For the sake of Christ. Are you willing to suffer hardship for the sake of Christ? Are you willing to receive insults for the sake of Christ? Are you willing to be persecuted for the sake of Christ? Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 12, that if we suffer with Christ, we'll reign with Christ. Friends, Jesus is our model for weakness and power. He became weak at the cross when he suffered for, from being beaten, battered, bruised for the sin of the world. He, he, he physically became weak 
the point of death. But the power of God was on full display when God raised a dead man from the grave and gave new life to him. There is no one more powerful than Christ. So if you, there may be someone here today, as the worship team comes back to the stage, that, that, that the only way for you to tap into this power, that this power of Christ, is first of all for you to be in right relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And the only way to be in right relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, is through Jesus Christ, who died your death in your place, became your substitute on the cross. It, it, re it requires surrendering to Christ, requires you to empty yourself of self-reliance, self-dependence, self-sufficiency. It requires you to become weak. But as you become weak and surrender your life to Christ, God strengthens you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe for someone here, the ultimate response for you today is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. How do I do that? By simply trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone to rescue you from the penalty you so deserve, which is separation from God. And the place where we are separated from God in regards to eternal life is heaven and hell. For somebody else today, you are, you're saying, Brandon, I'm, I, I'm saved. I'm good there. Hallelujah. Thank God for the gospel. What do you boast in? What, what is it that you take pride in? What gives you your sense of self-worth and significance? Paul says, what gives you your cred, your kingdom cred, what you ought to boast, is, boast in is weakness. Suffering for the sake of Christ. Because it's a gift from God to make you holy, to make you more like his son. So Paul says we ought to boast in our weaknesses, not our education, not our work, not our job, not our bank account. What we all need is grace. Somebody, you've been praying for God to, to rescue you, to deliver you from something. And you haven't received the answer that you wanted from God. It's because God is showing you that his grace is enough. Many of you know part of my testimony is that in 2014, life took me through a, a, a just a hard 
season of life. So much so that I didn't think I was fit to live anymore. I was hospitalized for five days, diagnosed with severe depression. From 2014, I've taken 100 milligrams of Zoloft, an antidepressant. And, and, and for the record, it's not a lack of faith. Because if anything, because of my depression, my faith has grown. And so we've got to be sensitive as Christians thinking that everybody that's depressed is just they don't have faith. Don't judge that unless you've had depression. But in that moment, I became weak church. And in the worst part of my time of depression... It was like there was this dark cloud that just would not lift. It was, it was awful. The height of my depression, it was just awful. No, no motivation to live. No motivation to even care for my own children. No motivation to eat. You know I was sick. Not feeling like you're qualified to keep on living. Only thing I wanted was for that cloud to lift. And so my prayer was, God, take this depression away from me. Either take it away from me or take me away. And he didn't give me either one of them. To this day, I still take 100 milligrams of Zoloft. At 3 o'clock, an alarm is going to go off and say, take your medication. Since 2014, I've become more committed to God. I've surrendered to God. I've moved, made a faith move by moving from the great country of Texas to a place called Kansas. By the, by the grace of God, I've planted. God has used me to plant the bridge church. My marriage is stronger. My family is stronger. My faith is stronger. Because here's my point. Though God did not take away my depression, what God did was he let me know my grace will sustain you, Brandon. Because in the midst of your depression, I'm going to let my power dwell upon you. And it was during the worst part of my depression that I could sense God's presence. It was so sweet. It was his power. I could see clearly. I could hear clearly. God gave me the grace to know I haven't left you. I'm still here. But you're going to keep this thorn. But I'll sustain you even with this thorn. You'll preach my gospel with a thorn. You'll share the gospel with a thorn. You'll preach and lives will be transformed with a thorn. And so somebody here needs to know that God's grace is enough. Whatever it is you think you need to become whole, God is saying to you today, my grace 
is enough. Let's stand.